Well, I think uh, Josh could testify to this also when he shares. Um, <laughs> we don't really take much credit for great messages, but when your messages are founded on God's Word and uh, they're revealed to you because you're spending time with God and He alone is great, I, I guess that does, in a humbling way, uh, say... I have a great message for you because I can honestly say it's not really put together by me. It's, it's simply scripture and what God has revealed to me as I've spent time with him, with you all in mind. Um, I do that quite a bit. I think quite often of when I was sitting in a church pew and I was not a true believer, uh, what was going through my mind, and so I, how can I help someone point them to the Savior a little bit better? I think of myself sometimes when uh, I did give my life to Jesus, but I didn't fully understand it enough to realize that I was supposed to be living differently. Uh, I believed in him, but I didn't really fully understand what it meant that I could have a personal relationship with him, that, that he speaks to me, and uh, of course I, I pray and speak to him, but he can speak to me. And then I think about times where I was really digging into the Word and I'm in service and I'm, I'm following along uh, with the pastor that's given a message because I'm hungry just to, just, just to know more, to learn more, to learn something new. And so that's my prayer for us this morning as I share, is that God speaks directly to you through His Word, by His Holy Spirit, and if some, in some way, shape, or form, he uses this humble servant of his, who I don't know why still to this day he called me to, to, to do what I do, but he did, and I'm very grateful and very humbled by it. But uh, it is my honor to bring you uh, the word of God this morning. Um, let's, let's pray. Let me pray. Father God, I pray that um, you would be the one speaking to our hearts and ministering to us today. God, I know just when we um, gather here together, there are, uh, are many distractions. Satan wants to distract us, and God, there are just many cute distractions. Babies laughing and crying and, and moaning and groaning, and, and God, we, we, we love to hear that. But Lord, help us catch the moments we are supposed to catch today, the words, the phrases, the verse, whatever it is you want us personally to hear, God, that would um, help us know you better and know you more and represent you better, then God, I pray that's what we hear today and that we would have the courage to respond to it in a way that brings you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I wanted to quickly share um, for our online viewers, uh, you're going to have, and this is a little spoiler alert for you guys as well, you're going to have an opportunity to, to, uh, to win a Christmas giveaway um, where you get to uh, be put in a drawing to bless someone else. And as well as those of you that are here live, uh, you're going to get that opportunity too. I wish all of you could, but, um, but it's not going to happen. So at the end uh, of service or end of my message this morning, um, we're going to be doing that. So for you online viewers, if you want to be part of that opportunity to... Uh, to give something away to be a blessing to someone, uh, you need to comment as you're following along, blessed to give. 
So when you comment, blessed to give in the comments, you will be entered to win something at the end of service that we're going to be giving away. And those of you that registered to be part of the service today, you, you, are, you are put in a drawing also to win. So uh, if you didn't register and you showed up, we're glad you're here, but sorry, you don't, you don't get the opportunity to win something. So we went, on based, we went based off the registration. So I don't register because I do what I do, so I can't win. Uh, but that's okay. All right, let's dig in. We're picking up from John chapter 5. We're concluding John chapter 5. We are going to look at the witness of Jesus or the testimony of Jesus. And we're going to talk a lot today about our witness, about our testimony. And we're going to learn from the word and learn from Jesus' example today. But before we do that, I just want us to, again, think about this, understand this. A witness is someone who gives a testimony, right? A witness is someone who gives a testimony. Let me quickly define for you both of those words, witness and testimony. And I just looked them up on my dictionary Bible app, and so, or, or dictionary app, and so this is what came up. Witness, to see, hear, or know by personal presence and perception. Isn't that cool? And a testimony is the statement or declaration of a witness under oath or affirmation usually in court. It can also mean this, evidence in support of a fact or statement. Proof. So when you and I bear witness, we are saying we have seen, we have heard, and we know by personal presence that God is who he says he is. That God has sent his son, born of a virgin, the very season we're celebrating, we know that for a fact, and our lives will be the evidence and support of that fact or statement. It will become proof for people that are watching us. That's what it means to bear witness, to give a testimony, because we don't only give it with our lips, but we give it and share it and show it with our lives. Amen? So who's up for being challenged today? I mean, I want to challenge myself today, even though I've already preached this message a couple times. Once kind of with God as I was preparing, once to the 8 a.m. group, and now with you. I just, I want to be excited about sharing my testimony. We're going to talk about good ways and bad ways to do that, and we're going to learn and hopefully get a little practical. All right, let's dig into John chapter 5. I want to start with verse 31, and I'll begin at verse, I already said that, we're getting at verse 31 of John chapter 5, reading from the New Living Translation this morning. Jesus said this, if I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid, but someone else is also testifying about me, and I assure you that everything he says about me is true. In fact, you sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist, and his testimony about me was true. Of course, I have no need of human witnesses, but I say these things so you might be saved. John, oh, I'm going to stop there. We're going to stop with verse 34. Stop there. Okay, so my point in going back to verse 31 
if Jesus was careful about testifying of himself, then we also should pay attention as to how we testify to others about him regarding our testimony, right? When we share with people, when we testify, when we bear witness, when we tell our story, as Josh and I remind you a lot to do, is it more about us? Is it focused on our blessings that we've received from God, especially our material blessings? You know, so many times when someone makes a statement about maybe our, our car or our house or our job or our family, we, we see that and we say, oh, I am so, what do we say? I'm so blessed. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. And hopefully you see yourself as blessed. But my point is, do we only talk about the blessing of God as it relates to something worldly or material? Because there's so much greater blessings beyond that. And sometimes if we are testifying or sharing about all of our worldly possessions and even them claiming to be blessings from God, the focus can be more on them or on self because we've received them and not enough about who we've received them from. So when we tell our story, is it more about our church than our Savior? You know, I love when you guys talk about our church in a positive way. I love to talk about our church in a positive way. And it's, it's an honest way. There's a lot of great positive things about our church. But if we are only talking about our church and not the one to whom our church is set up to point to, we are still giving not a true biblical testimony. Does that make sense? So you, you keep talking positively about our church, if that's your experience, all the while you're pointing someone, whoever you're talking with, to the one whom this church exists to reveal. All local churches that are claiming to be Christian should point to the Savior. Or is, when we, show, or when we tell our story, is it about what God has done for us, especially relating to the gospel message? We see from Paul's example, it is okay to boast as long as our boasting is in the Lord. As long as our boasting is directing to God and what he has done for us and our worship of him. When you speak and share your story and, and hopefully point people to him and it's part of his story of your life, I hope that they see on your face and that they hear with the tone of your voice this expression of worship and gratitude and joy and humility. That's what we want people to see. So another point Jesus is making here when he says, if I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. We need to remember that Jesus was speaking, part of, a lot of the people he was speaking to were Jewish religious leaders. 
And so they knew the scripture well, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But there's, some, uh, there's an Old Testament law that talks about not accepting the testimony of someone unless it incorporates two or three witnesses. Uh, a testimony wasn't really valid unless two or more witnesses gave testimony to its truth. We even see this in the New Testament as it relates to elders in 1 Timothy 5.19. It says, do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it is confirmed by two or three witnesses. Now, in our day and age, you might not need two or three witnesses. You might just need a phone video or something. With all, you know. So, uh, again, if, if I, as a pastor, am out doing something really, really sinful, and I'm caught on video, you shouldn't wait to make sure two or three people saw me. You got it on video. And you should, yes, turn it in, okay? But otherwise, Jesus is talking about this, um, that even he himself... Jesus, who is God, who does, does Jesus have all the authority and the power to testify of himself? He does. Has he earned that? I mean, he's God. Of course he does. Yet Jesus, as the Son of Man, saying, if I only testify on my own behalf, it's not valid. And so he talks about John the Baptist, how John the Baptist was sent to testify of Jesus. In verse 34, Jesus says this, of course, I have no need of human witnesses, yet I say these things so that what? You might be saved. Jesus doesn't need you as a human witness. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He is God. He can do and say whatever he wants. He can reveal himself to whoever he wants, but... God's way is what? To use human witnesses. God's way is to reveal himself to people so that people will go on and tell other people about him. Am I right? That's why John the Baptist was sent ahead of Jesus. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Jesus doesn't need human witnesses, yet that's what he calls us to do. He sends us out sends us out to be a witness, to go tell the story, and he empowers us with who? The Holy Spirit. He empowers us. Heather, nice and confident. I love it. Thank you. Guys, if we are born-again believers, we have this power within us He's a person, his name is the Holy Spirit, and he has empowered you to go tell other people about the Savior so that even though Jesus didn't need human witnesses, they might be saved. That's the reason why Jesus sends us out, because of his love and so that others might be saved. Saved. So our witness should direct people towards a Savior who truly saves. Let's read on verse 35. John was like a burning and shining lamp, and you were excited for a while about his message. But I have a greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they prove that he sent me. 
And the Father who sent me has testified about me himself. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face, and you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me, the one he sent to you. So uh, going back and looking at verse 36, Jesus said that the works himself testifies of him. What are his works? His teachings and his miracles. His life bears evidence, gives testimony to God the Father. What Jesus spoke, how Jesus spoke it, what he did, the followers he had despite his promise of fiery trials and tribulations and dark times, the healings, raising people from the dead, who he touched, who he spoke to, women, children, Samaritans, people of a different race. We've seen some of these stories already as we've read through John. That should tell us a lot about our works, about our evidence that we are displaying. How are we living our lives? Are we following Jesus' example? What are you speaking How are you speaking it? Is it the message of the gospel, of the hope of Christmas, the Savior? What are we doing? Who is listening and following our example despite us telling them what Jesus told us? To follow me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Are there any healings in your life? I haven't raised anyone from the dead, but hopefully we are all part of raising people spiritually from the dead. That's more important than the physical resurrection anyways. Who are we touching with our lives, with our finances, with our resources, with our words? Who are we speaking to and how are we speaking to them regardless of their sex or age or race. That's the testimony Jesus gave. He basically said, watch my life. They, John the Baptist, my miracles, my teachings, there's the two or three witnesses, and he even says in that passage of scripture, even my Father in heaven bears witness of me, testifies about me. How many of you have been baptized? And I want to take you back to your baptism for a minute do you remember where you were at i remember where i was at um do you remember coming up out of the water and i don't know if that water was hot or cold or lukewarm or a pool or a lake or a river doesn't matter when you came up out of the water did you hear a audible voice from heaven saying this is my son or this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Probably not. I'm glad no one said, yeah, I did. (laughs) Whew. Jesus had that happen. The Father himself testified when he came up out of the water, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus 
had all kinds of testimony. He didn't need human witness. He didn't need man's approval. He was, he lived who he lived. He was who he was. He taught it. He shared it. Miracles followed him and bore evidence that he was the Son of God and the Son of Man, the Savior of the world. Our works or lack of them, our message or lack of our message that we don't speak, give evidence of God and who we are in Christ. So the one challenging question I have for all of us is how guilty are we and displaying evidence that God has come and rescued us personally. If you were put on the stand, would the judge say guilty based on the people around you? Not only of the testimony you give yourself, but of others around you that can say, yep, that is a life that has been changed. Here's my testimony of that. I knew this person to be this. And then all of a sudden they said they gave their life to Jesus and understood what he did for them on the cross. And now their life is this. Would we be guilty? I hope so. Hopefully our works, our testimony is proof, not lacking in any evidence to support the truth and the fact that Jesus is God's son who gave his life for all. I want to direct our attention to verse 38 again. Jesus said this, And you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me, the one he sent to you. Let me tell you something that's really, really encouraging. Maybe for you personally that are here, maybe for someone watching online, maybe for someone that you need to talk with. God is in the pursuing business. God is always in the business of sending found people to lost people, of sending hope-filled people to hopeless people. Saved people save people. Found people find people. God is always in the business of sending people to other people that need him. Are you his people? Then God is in the business of sending you often to someone who's watching around you. God is in the business of sending you someone you have no idea you've even met before, but they're going to come across your path, and he sent you for a reason and a purpose for that. God is going to call some, like me, to pastor a local church, and all of a sudden, he's going to lead very, very clearly to cause me to go to Africa and to spend time in Kenya and have crazy, way beyond coincidental things that happen because God sends people to other people that need him. In the Old Testament, we see God constantly sending prophets, priests, kings in the Old Testament. And then one day God said, okay, that's it. I'm going to send one man who is the prophet, 
the priest, the king of all kings. And he sent Jesus in the New Testament. And then Jesus sent who? Not what or it. Who did Jesus send when he left earth? Heather, who did Jesus send? Yes, the Holy Spirit. And he is a he. And he dwells within you and me. And what does he do? He sends us where? Out. Out where you go. Out where you're not sure where you're headed. Out to places you don't know about yet, but many you do. He sends you home. He sends you to Walmart. He sends you to school. He sends you to work. And there are people around you that need the hope of Christmas. A Savior born to die as a king and live as a king for you and for me. True biblical belief always results in change. Let me say this again, because we're going to go out and tell the story, and some people are going to say what? Oh, yeah, I believe, right? Some of you have said before, oh, yeah, I believe, and you believed up here, didn't you? But your life didn't change at all. Am I right? There's, I've always believed in God because, praise God, He allowed me to be born into a family and around people that, that taught me about Him. But I, I only believed in Him up here. There for a while, there was no change in my life. True biblical belief, however, always results in change. So if we're going to say, I believe in God, that means we've encountered a living God. When we were once dead, He's made alive. And when you encounter a living God, you cannot and will not stay the same. You will change your ways. It is a process. It doesn't happen all at once, does it? But there are certain things that change and will continue to change. You are born again. You start living life a new way. Transformation. Let's read on. John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40 says this. Jesus speaking still. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me, Jesus said. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. The Jewish leaders knew the scriptures well, didn't they? I don't know how many of you know this, but if you grew up in a first century Jewish home, you learned about God at home, you learned about God at school, you learned about God through traits. I mean, you learned scripture, scripture, scripture. You didn't just learn it, you memorized it. Many of the Jewish leaders at this time had most if not all, of the entire Old Testament memorized. A lot of them had the first five books of the Bible called the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You know some of those books we don't like to read? By eight years old, if you were a Jew, especially a boy, you had the whole Torah memorized for the most part. They knew the scriptures, yet they totally missed the point. Josh and I constantly are telling you to dig into scripture, and we should be, and you should be obeying that. 
But if it's only to gain a lot of head knowledge and you miss Jesus in a personal relationship with God, like God himself is speaking to you through his word, you're missing out. You're no different than a religious person. Jesus said they searched the scriptures thinking that eternal life were in the scriptures themselves, but the scriptures pointed to him and they missed it. When we read, study, meditate, speak, share, quote scripture, let's not forget where it's pointing us and to whom it's pointing us to. Amen? All right, let's read on verse 41 through 44. Your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. For I have come to you in my Father's name and you have rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe, for you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Let me ask a question. Whose approval do you seek? Whose approval do you seek? Amen, Tony. Who influences your decisions the most is it God even when others don't approve even when that certain somebody doesn't approve can I say this stop living for the approval of others and start living your life and making decisions based on your relationship with the God of the Bible do that if you hear nothing else, you will live with no regrets if you do that. But I promise you, if you live for someone else's approval, you will constantly feel depressed, feel ashamed, feel like you're not good enough, whatever the case may be. And rightfully so in some cases. But when you live for the approval and acceptance of God, it shouldn't matter what other people think. Now, at times, it may be necessary and right to do things that are neither understood nor approved by those around us. But the bottom line for us is whether or not God approves of what we are doing, not what others think. Paul said this in Galatians 1.10 when he was talking with the Galatians. He said, obviously, is this, is this obvious in your life? that you are not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. I love that it says, obviously, there. And if not, let's just humble ourselves enough to say, no, I don't think it's obvious, but from this day forward, I'm repenting. I'm making the decision to stop living for the approval of someone else and to start living for the approval of God. If pleasing people were my goal, Paul says, I would not be Christ's servant. So if you are Christ's servant, you don't live to please people or to win their approval. Amen? I hope that sets some people free today. Oh my goodness, there's no greater feeling than to be free. Now, will it still stink at times? When you make a decision based on what God wants you to do and people around you are going to give you some 
stuff about it. That still stinks a little bit, but over that stinky part a little bit, that feeling that you get, I promise you, there will be a bold, loud, underlying peace and confidence that you that it won't matter. I promise you that if you stick to it. Now, in saying that, let me give you an example of when it's good to listen to the advice of others, all right? Sometimes we're going to walk through life and we're not sure, number one, what God's Word says about something. You just, you don't have that knowledge available to you. You don't know God's Word well enough yet, right? That happens, right? Sometimes uh, you know God's Word really well, but it doesn't specifically speak to your specific situation or circumstance, right? I mean, it doesn't say anywhere in here, does it, Curtis? Should I marry Shelby McDowell? Or I guess it wasn't McDowell. It doesn't say that in here anywhere, does it? But you should still seek God's approval, right? And sometimes you're not going to know, right? Sometimes you come into my office and be like, man, I like this girl, Pastor, but I don't know what's happening, right? I only say it because I know you wouldn't mind. You just were uncertain. What do I do? What's my next step? So sometimes we're going to face stuff in life that we just, we're not sure what God's saying. What do we do then? You know what you do? The Bible says there is safety in the midst of godly counselors. In other words, you turn to some godly people you know around you and you ask them for their input, knowing and trusting them that they're going to take their experience, their knowledge of Scripture, they're hearing the voice of God, and they're going to give you godly counsel. That's why I surround myself with godly people. Because when I'm not sure about a decision I need to make, even as a leader, I can get their input and their prayer support and not their approval, but their input to help me determine what's best for me, what's best for God's honor and glory, what's best for the people I'm leading or serving. And so should you. So if you're unsure and you start asking godly people around you uh, and you're uh, wanting to make a decision whether you should do A or B, or do A or not do A, whatever the case may be, and you're living a certain way, and you ask them, and most or all of them say, I don't think that's a good idea, and here's why. What should we do? Is that now living for the approval of man? No, that is obeying Scripture that says, surround yourself with godly people, because there's safety in that. I wouldn't ever advise you, if you were unsure about God's will, and you asked a bunch of godly people around you what they thought about this, and all or most of them said, I don't think it's a good idea, I wouldn't encourage you to go on doing it, unless you've like literally heard the, heard the audible voice of God saying, yep, do this. And that's still, I don't know, that's a little out there myself. So we need to trust that. That's going to happen. But that's different than living for the approval of men. Do we understand that? Does that make sense? Because if you're always going to the godly people around you, asking them everything about every decision you'll make, now you're only having a relationship with God through them. That's not healthy either. Okay? Um, all right, let me end by saying this. Why 
did you come to Jesus? For those of you that have come. If you've not come, or if you're watching online and you've not come to Jesus, here's my serious question. What is holding you back? Why aren't you coming to him? The Savior of the world that came for you. Let me know what you're struggling with. I would love to help you walk through that. If something's hindering you from coming to Jesus, reach out. I can't read your mind, but I want to help and serve. Now, for those of us that did come to Jesus, we have come to Jesus, why? Did we come just to get something in return? Was our motive in coming to Jesus only to receive? Or was it to change and give? Now, you might say, well, don't we get get heaven and eternal life by coming to Jesus? Isn't that receiving something? Absolutely. That's a promise that Jesus gives you when you come to him. But it still shouldn't be the ultimate motive in coming to Jesus. If you only come to Jesus just because you want to get heaven, that's still not the proper response to what the gospel is, to why Jesus came. Oh, it's part of his promise and reward. Man, whew, that's awesome. Here's the thing. When you come to Jesus and you get Jesus because Jesus is enough because of what he's done for you and that alone is enough, all this other stuff that you also get because he's faithful to his promises are just extra. But if you're trying to come to Jesus because you really want what he can give you, wrong motive. So let's go back and ask ourselves, why did we come? To come to Jesus in a biblical way means we must respond to his message with repentance. I'm leaving my old life behind. I was dead. I'm leaving that dead, materialistic life, full of selfish ambitions. I'm leaving that behind, and I'm turning to the one who offered me life who set me free from the penalty of what I got coming to me because of my sin. That's why we come to Jesus, because no one else paid the price. You can't pay it, you can't earn it, and no one else did for you. But Jesus did. Our heart attitude then changes from what's in it for me to what can I give. How can I advance this message? How can I tell others about Jesus? It's not about what Jesus can do for me in a material, worldly way. It's about what he's already done. Listen to some statements found in Scripture about why Jesus came. It's going to help us answer why we need, or, or what our motive is and should be in coming to him. Jesus came according to uh, the Bible, and I can find these scripture references if you want them. Look them up, if you doubt, and you should. You should be fine. I don't want to see if that's true. When he stood before Pilate, Jesus said this, I came to testify to the truth. So what should we do if we're going to follow that example? What should we be doing? We should be going to testify to the truth. Jesus came to give his life a ransom. Now, you don't have the power and authority to give your life and a ransom for someone else, but can you give your life and part of your life and resources and and words and encouragement to others? Absolutely. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. 
not to receive. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to serve and not be served. Any relationship you're in, a relationship's two-way, right? There's got to be two-way. Do one-way relationships make it? No. God can't even love you enough without your faith and repentant heart to get you into heaven. It takes two. His doing and your response. Every relationship takes two. No one's big enough to make a relationship happen perfectly if just one party's given, right? So any relationship that you are in, God, your relationship with God, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your children, if you're in it only to receive or what you can gain from it instead of what you can give, your motive is wrong and your life will be followed with doom and despair and not the right feelings that we want. I promise you. But if you are in that relationship to give and the other party is in the relationship to what? To give? Do both parties receive? <laughs> yeah. It's so simple, isn't it? Then why do we struggle so much with our spouse and with our kids? Why? Because at times we're both a little selfish. We're in it just to receive. My goodness, if some of you had kids just so they would meet your needs, whoo, you're in a lot of trouble. Most of us just chose to have kids so we could give life and pour into them and love them and give, right? Why don't we do that with God and His church and one another and our spouse and our kids and the stranger and the poor and the rich? Why don't we do that? Why aren't we in it to give? Paul himself reminded us in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, and we're closing with this. Oh yeah, it's time to go. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So, this is my challenge. All of us know what it's like to talk about God's blessings, and most of the time we're meeting something that we have or we've received. Yet Jesus said this, if you think those are blessings, you're missing out on a bigger, better blessing because Jesus said it is more blessed to what? To give than to receive. So in your relationships, in your community, with a stranger, be in it as a follower of Christ, following his example to give. And in giving, you will receive. He will meet your every need. So with that said, let's do a little drawing. All right, on, you online viewers, you, one last chance quickly to say, what, what was the phrase? I forgot. Blessed to give. If you comment blessed to give, you're going to be in a drawing to win. Oh, it's too late. They've already done it. They've already won. Okay, sweet. Well, I have two $100 gift cards to Walmart that you are to get to give. I'm giving these to you. No, it's not a, the church, Truth and Grace Fellowship, 
Are, are, they paid for them. We, we did. I'm part of that. I give to you, but this isn't from me. We are giving these to you not to receive, but to give. Now, you can take them and use them to go buy groceries, $100 worth exactly, to someone else and then go deliver groceries. I don't care how you use it. You use it before Christmas because they say Merry Christmas on them in some way. You can give the card away or you can use the card to buy toys, to buy food, whatever. All right? And we got two winners. We had two winners at the 8 a.m. service. One winner online, and now we have two right now. First winner is Mark and Catherine Phillips. Come on up. Yeah. It's right there. There you go. This is so fun. Oh boy. Hmm. This is a, a, a name slash name. <laughs> yeah, Boyers and Andersons. <laughs> you guys are going to have to decide together. <laughs> there you go, Ramey. Okay, remember, it is more blessed to give than to receive. All right, worship team, come on up. Uh, if you want or need to respond to God and His message to you in some way, shape, or form this morning. One way we offer that is you can come and kneel at this altar, and no one will bother you. You can just pray. Another option we give, if you want someone to pray with you or pray for you, you can kneel over here, and that will take place. Otherwise, those of you watching online, kneel, stand, close your eyes. Those of you that are here, stay in your seat but respond to God. We cannot encounter God nor a message from God and stay the same. How do you need to respond this morning? I don't know, but I'm just encouraging you to be obedient to it.